This is Jacqueline Kitzman. This is the <laughs> fuck me, man. I entered it like a phone again. Listen, um, hi. This is Jacqueline Kitzman. This is the Awakened Tarot podcast. Uh, we've got a lot to cover. First off, uh, I was gone for two weeks. Um, my in-laws were in town last weekend, and Gabe and I were like, "Yeah, we're gonna get stuff done. Um, we're we're gonna record the episode earlier in the week and get it edited." And my grandfather got very sick. Um, it was very scary. He is stable now, and he was able to go back home. I very much apologize for going two weeks without an episode. And on top of all of that, we've missed some things um, current events wise. So let's kind of look at that one. I got a review recently that accused me of being overly political. Current events are part of the podcast. Me talking about what's happening to people is part of the podcast. You can either like use your thumb to hit fast forward for a little bit or you can listen. Um, You get a couple different people when you have a tarot podcast. You get... You get one half of like new age tarot people, which are like wildly progressive. And then you get another wave and, and and then another wave of people. And they're not on they're not on this wavelength. And they like to let me know via their one star reviews. And I get it. It's it's OK. It's more like I think the review said something like overly political. What a shame. I just it's it's funny at this point. It's an advertisement for the kind of podcast that this is. And it's. Not what that second half of the tarot community probably wants. We are going to talk about politics. We are going to have hard conversations and we are going to talk about what that means like collectively because we care about people and their plights and their and their struggles and what's happening. We care. Um, So use that as a nice little segue to get into talking about a couple of different things. One, there were massive wildfires in Hawaii. Absolutely destructive in which many of the local and native residents of Hawaii were treated as less than than the tourists who were visiting there. If you have the ability and the finances to look into, you know, putting money towards helping rebuild the parts of Hawaii that were affected, helping them recapture some of the livelihoods and possessions that they've lost, that's massively helpful at this point. It's truly just like a case study in how we treat indigenous people here in the U.S., they were treated very much as less than in a devastating circumstance where their homes were being destroyed. Now we're moving into two shootings that have happened over the last two weeks. And it happened in Jacksonville, Florida. On August 26, 2023, three people were fatally shot by a gunman in a mass shooting that took place at a Dollar General in Jacksonville, Florida. The gunman was a 21-year-old white male. Um, he shot and killed himself after he barricaded himself in an office. The incident has been described as a terrorist attack by President Biden. It was racially motivated and is currently under investigation. Obviously, this person, the shooter, I'm not going to name him, uh, left a manifesto. We know it was a racially motivated crime in which the shooter was actively looking to kill black people. There isn't a word in, I think, any language to express how fucking disgusting that is. And if you're a person who's like, oh, racism in America has gotten much better in the last 60, like you're like, that's a fucked idea because it hasn't. And we are actively witnessing this, this hate manifest in black people losing their lives when they like just fucking going shopping, like God, like fucking terrible. Now let's move into a shooting that happened earlier this week. It happened on the UNC campus. One person was killed. It was with a nine millimeter handgun that this happened. Um, A student shot one of his professors. They did know each other. 
Um, I don't know if any kind of motive has been released for the shooting yet, but it it led to obviously a lot of traumatized students running um, on UNC campus to get away from what was happening and a professor losing his life. 49 school shootings have happened in the U.S. this year, including the UNC shooting. 34 have been reported on K through 12 campuses and 15 on university and college campuses. My district representative, Justin Jones, who has been actively working in the Tennessee Capitol, um, even against like some of the most fucking racist, fascist behavior I think I've ever seen in a state government. But Justin Jones has been working with the moms from the Covenant School shooting that happened here several months ago. He was trying to oppose a bill that would allow teachers to carry weapons. And I, I, I believe that that ended up passing because obviously the answer is more guns, not less. Um, They were escorted out, even though they were simply sitting quietly holding signs, they were escorted out. Justin Jones was silenced um, from speaking at all, even though he did nothing wrong. There was no reason to silence him. And then the Republicans decided that they were going to get these bills passed by speaking quickly like auctioneers like this fast and then saying, all right, all those who object and then like hitting a gavel like 14 seconds later. Um, Just complete and total fascism happening in the Tennessee government right now. So. It's incredibly disheartening. And then, of course, there was also a hurricane that hit Florida. um, And I think also a hurricane that affected some parts of California recently. And my heart goes out to all those who were affected there as well. Um, Just a lot of human, a little bit of human pain recently. And that's always very hard. Jumping into the podcast this week, we are talking about the High Priestess. The High Priestess is card two in the Major Arcana. Um, this, the uh, when you're looking at the card, the symbology of it is that you've got the the High Priestess, and they're sitting with a crown on their head. The crown looks, uh, it's like two crescent moons on either side of like a full moon. So you've got like the Maiden Mother crown, um, kind of crown on their head. It's also kind of a nod to maybe some like Isis imagery from the Egyptian pantheon. Um, the high priestess is holding a Torah in her hand, uh, in their hand, which is meant to kind of symbolize a lot of like secret and information. Um, you've got a crescent moon at the high priestess feet and the robes of the high priestesses like gownish cape thing look to be like water kind of splashing over this crescent moon. The high priestess themselves sits in between a black pillar and a white pillar and Uh, The black pillar has a B on it and the white pillar has a J on it. And I believe it stands for some sort of for for different languages. Um, And I'm I'm sure that when I open up the pictorial key to the tarot here, it'll explain some more of that. Behind the high priestess is a um, you call it like a veil. It's like a tapestry and there's pomegranates and like um, the basically the fruit of wisdom behind the high priestess. Uh, kind of like this symbol symbol of like you have the knowledge you have this gnostic uh this gnostic intuition and wisdom and you know it's also kind of this like obvious nod to like uh fuck what's it called why am i forgetting what it's called uh gen 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 genesis yes fuck me you guys i listen somewhere my grandfather is rolling in his grave at the fact that i just forgot the fucking word for genesis Um, But in Genesis, obviously, it's kind of a nod to the apple or the piece of fruit that Eve and Adam ate that gave them like 
the knowledge of good and evil. And that's kind of what the high priestess here is looking at. And that's not me saying that the black pillar is evil and the white pillar is good because that's an incredibly like racist ideology to have. So I don't want you to take that away from it. But the idea here is that the high priestess like sits between duality of black and white thinking. That's the message there of like one way of thinking and another way of thinking. Like so often we look at things as it has to be one way or it has to be the other way. And and so often what happens is that we're actually in the middle of something. And I think that we'll talk about that later when I'm kind of like reading through some of the meanings of the high priestess. So what I'm going to do now that I've explained kind of what the card looks like is I am going to read to you from this book. Um, again, this is the pictorial key to the tarot by Arthur Edward Wade. Um, this is kind of like him working through the imagery that he and Pamela Coleman Smith did together and talking about some of the symbols in that. And then I will, and it'll actually like break down some of like the stuff that's on here as well. And then um, we'll go through and I'll read you what I wrote on the high priestess and we'll go through the spread that I created to better understand how we are moving with the high priestess or how we are channeling them. And then I'll talk through kind of how I read the high priestess when I pull it as well. So here is what Arthur Edward Waite wrote. The high priestess. She has the lunar crescent at her feet, a horned diadem on her head with a globe in the middle place and a large solar cross on her breast. The scroll in her hands is inscribed with the word Torah, signifying the greater law, the secret law on the second sense of the word. The word being like the, the word of God, it's capitalized. It is partly covered by her mantle to shew that some things are implied and some spoken. She is seated between the white and black pillars, J and B of the mystic temple and the veil of the temple is behind her. It is embroidered with palms and pomegranates. The vestments are flowing and gauzy and the mantle suggests light, a shimmering radiance. She has been called occult science on the threshold of the sanctuary of Isis, but she is really the secret church, the house of which God, the house, which is of God and man. She represents also the second marriage of the prince who was no longer of this world. She is the spiritual bride and mother, the daughter of the stars and the higher garden of Eden. She is in fine, the queen of the borrowed light, but this is the light of all. She is the moon nourished by the milk of the sup, sup Why am I like this as a human? She is nourished by the milk of the supernal mother. In a manner, she is also the supernal mother herself. That is to say, she is the bright reflection. It is in this sense of reflection that her truest and highest name in Baalism is Shekinah, the cohabiting glory. According to Kabbalism, there is a Shekinah both above and below. In the superior world, it is called Binah, the supernal understanding which reflects to the emanations that are beneath. In the lower world, it is Malkuth, M-A-L-K-U-T-H, Malkuth, that world being. For this purpose, understood as a blessed kingdom, that with which it is made blessed being the indwelling glory. Mystically speaking, the Shekinah is the spiritual bride of the just man. And when he reads the law, capitalized, she gives the divine meaning. There are some respects in which this card is the highest and holiest of the greater arcana. Okay, so if nothing else, I want what I want you to take away from this and what and what Arthur Edward Waite wrote like 19 times is that the high priestess is a reflection 
Uh, she is a, they are, she, I keep saying she, I really don't like to genderize the cards, but they are this reflection of, of the moon, um, of, of our inner, of our inner world, of our inner thoughts. You know, it's very interesting because the moon actually reflects the sun's light. Um, that's, that's how it gets its, its kind of glow. And the interesting thing, I think just about like the high priestess in general is that what what they're doing is they're kind of reflecting the light of what we know and allowing us to internalize it. So it's reflecting that sunlight and then it's eternalizing. It's reflecting the things we're told and then allowing us to take it in and kind of do some more deciphering. When we are in the high priestess, we go there second. So we get this physical body. We move through the magician um, where we get this body. And once we feel good in our environments and safe and rooted in, we kind of like enter this high priestess, which allows us to be like, oh my God, okay, great. I feel like all of my needs are met. So now I get to kind of contemplate the, the, the greater meaning of life itself. And I kind of get to decipher what I think about things and how I feel about them and really kind of get to like center yourself in the middle of things and like get to know thyself essentially. Uh, the, the high priestess knows things. Um, they are, this is this essence of like, of intuition, pure intuition of, of dreaming and, and, and allowing yourself rather than asking somebody, Hey, what does this mean? It's more like allowing yourself to kind of divine the message on your own. What does this mean to you? Like, I think sometimes we have, we have this, um, and of course, like I do like a segment occasionally on this podcast where I have you guys send your nightmares to me and then I'll pull cards for them and kind of like Gabe and I'll talk through what the potential meaning of that dream is. but. Like in reality, like nobody else knows the symbolism happening inside our bodies better than us. I had an incredible nightmare, like awful, awful nightmare, like the night before the new, the super blue moon in Pisces. And uh, it, I woke up from it completely wrecked. And I asked Gabe, I was like, what do you think this means? And he gave me his thoughts. But at the end of the day, I was sitting there and I was like, no, this is what this means. This is why this is happening. I, this is what this means for me. And I just, I knew better than what anybody else could give me. And I think sometimes we give so much of our power away. That's not to say that asking for help is bad, but at the, you know, there are times when we really do know the answer to something. When we sit there and we're in a relationship and it's not going well and you're just like, should I stay? Should I go? What do I do? Like, you know the answer to it. Sometimes you just have to let it settle into you. Um, and, and sometimes there is no good answer. Sometimes you have to just do what feels best in your gut. And the high priestess really kind of like supports that. But before we get any further in regards to me talking kind of about what the high priestess means to me, I want to pull up the meaning that the original meaning, um, that the high priestess means, uh, that, that Arthur Edward Waite had written for this card. So upright, it's secrets, mystery, the future as yet unrevealed the woman who interests the querent if male the querent herself if female silence tenacity mystery wisdom science and then in the reversed it's passion moral or physical ardor conceit and surface knowledge so those are the definitions uh, and you can kind of see where some of them make sense and like you're kind of like yeah secrets the the high priestess has some has some secrets in it and then you can also kind of see how some of them like the this is the uh, querent if female and if not female then this is the uh, 
the the woman that the querent if male is interested in and you can see how the you can see the irony of this card talking about like rejecting duality and then like giving it this very gendered like if you're male this is the woman you love and if you're female it's you like you can see how like kind of ironic that is i would i would say that when this card comes up it's not almost never talking about specifically who you love or who you don't love the high priestess is talking all about like the internal world gnosticism it's talking about your thoughts how you feel with things it's talking about the things that you divine or you come up with on your own these thoughts that you have you know i think that if we were all like and not even think like it's one of those things where you look look at like uh, archaeology or sociology and you look at different civilizations ancient ones who probably had no contact with each other and did not and they all have created these similar gods that stand for similar things. And of course, they all have different names, but they all like basically like stand for different archetypes. And we just did that. It's like this reaching of this like universal knowledge. Um, Noam Chomsky, I said that is I said that so confidently, like that was so incredible. Like, hold on here. I said Noam Chomsky like, yeah, Noam Chomsky is the American professor who came up with this idea in linguistics called universal language. So the idea is that all of us as infants have access to this universal language. Like we all, when we're born, we all make the sounds we hear in every language, tonal languages, languages that involve more glottal noises, all of these things. And then eventually as we move, as we grow up and we kind of like grow accustomed to the rules and regulations of the languages of the countries and the places we live we we lose some of these things so like all babies at some point are very good at rolling their r's and rolling their tongues and then as they get as we get older we lose some of that ability because we're not using those things in our specific dialects and languages and and noam chomsky kind of talks about this access we have as humans to some of these abilities that we lose over time and the high priestess is very interesting because as we move for the from the magician into the high priestess like we do have access to this to these internal things to these universal intrinsic little pieces of information um and we and we all get them we all all humans have the same needs we all have the same mannerisms it's just kind of those things that we all have as a species that is human and it's not we're not so engrossed in the duology of things the high priestess puts a lot of emphasis on like if we all sat down and we all just really by ourselves isolated thought about how to love other humans we wouldn't you know or even like how to interact like there's so much of society that is taught racism taught it's systemic and it's taught so much of this hate that we have of or this like this weirdness we have in regards to like you can see it in children like right like um up until like middle school like they'll have an interest and they'll really love it and then they go to middle school and then like people will tell them whether or not something they like is cool or not and then they'll come home and be like i don't want to do this anymore it's not cool and and so like they've gone from like this kind of like access they have to themselves and their inner world and what they like and what they don't like and how they feel about things and then they kind of get this you know other otherness pushed on it and then you start kind of like accommodating to the rules of society or you know society as what whatever like rules and regulations of the group of people that you're around um 
the high priestess is kind of a really beautiful example of finding that in between and knowing that you have the ability to have access to this knowledge and knowing that you can divine dreams and messages and you can pull tarot for yourself and you can read it but it's so much about not getting bogged down with the weight of anxieties and bias um and that's and that's a really hard thing to do it's also kind of a thing that really like uh the high priestess does so much to do with dreams because we get so many messages with dreams you'll notice i think if you pay attention to the moon specifically that your dreams start to get more vivid closer to full moons why Mm, they just do think about how many of you probably had crazy freaking wild dreams like i did um close to this super blue moon in Pisces, you probably had some pretty emotional, vivid dreams. Um, Why? Because we're affected, we're water, we're affected by the moon, it pushes and it pulls. And there's so much more to the human capacity for knowledge than we understand. And that's the beauty of the high priestess is that we can find a way to understand it given enough time and meditation and dreams and allowing ourselves to kind of like give ourselves our own answers, sitting with something, not making a decision off the bat, sitting with something and seeing how it feels in your body. That's all, that's all very high priestess. Um, so what I want to do now is I want to read what I wrote about the high priestess and then give you the spread. And then I'll kind of talk about how it comes up for me when I do readings. So this is what I wrote. The high priestess. After we have rooted deep into our physical manifestations, once we have anchored ourselves in our being and learned to be present in our bodies and earth, we can safely ascend. This ascension teaches us to go within our minds, see where they can take us, what they can show us. The soul's journey into the high priestess teaches us to find information and intuition within ourselves, allows us to find and rediscover intrinsic truths encoded into our very DNA and then it gives us a space to explore. We are ruminating in the knowledge of self-truth, the purity of the soul, the realm that lays beyond the veil. This is our ability to consider, philosophize, and align ourselves with how we move and bend in this world. The soul is allowed to expand in the body, and from that expansion we learn trust. Trust of our body's groundedness and trust of our intuition. Embodying the high priestess is embracing gut instinct and pure emotive feeling. In this energy, we rely on our most spiritual molecule, the ki or ba in Egyptian religion. We honor our physical containers because they hold ancient knowledge. It is this reason we enter the magician first and then the high priestess. So essentially what I'm writing here is that we have these, we have these souls. Energy can't be created or destroyed. We are little bits of a thousand different things, millions, billions of different things. And we carry that with us. We carry it in our DNA. And that's not me saying like necessarily like in super woo woo that we all have access to all of this knowledge from each piece of DNA. But like, I think to a certain extent, like what we do have is a tie to things. We have intuitive ties to everything. We are so much a part of everything around us. And I think that when we separate ourselves from that and we see ourselves as other than nature, other than people, other than all of the people we surround ourselves with, that's when we really start to create divides and things. And we start to really put ourselves potentially above others. And now that's not me saying that there isn't a time to very much center yourself 
and your feelings and and your beliefs and take up that space. But there is also such a such a beauty in giving that space to another person and listening to their plights and what they have to say and what they're feeling and really kind of engrossing yourself in empathy because we are all so intertwined with each other. I think I read a thing that reminds me of like kind of the high priestess mentality. I didn't read it. It was a TikTok and it was Hank Green and he was talking about how atoms are so small that when we uh, like one of his friends or family members had an appendectomy and then they decided to burn the appendix. And, you know, the, in, in the burning of that, like all of those molecules and those atoms kind of diffused into the universe. And every time any of us from any part of the world take a breath, there's like a scientific and very real quantum chance that we're breathing in a part of that appendix because we are all so like everything Matter can't be created or destroyed. We are all everything. We are all parts of everything that has always been and will ever be. That's why the that's why the literal earth doesn't like fall off its fucking hinges and like out of the sky, you know, even now that there are more people alive than have ever been before. Like it's because all of the atoms and all of the molecules of matter that have ever been and will ever be, we're just continuously recycling those things. And I and I like to I like to think about how we carry that with us. We carry little bits of those who have who lived millions of years ago. We carry that in us now. And I have to believe that in the high priestess, we kind of have the ability to explore what that means philosophically, at least for ourselves. Um, This is the spread I wrote for the high priestess, and I'll read it slowly so you guys can write it down or pull along with the podcast. In what energy can we best anchor ourselves before ascension? In what way is our soul currently asking for enlightenment? How can we best access intrinsic and ancient knowledge? And how best can we utilize the knowledge we've gained from beyond the veil? So the high priestess sitting in front of this veil, sitting in front of this pomegranate, the garden of Eden, the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. When we peek behind it, we don't come back from that. When we find, when we see beyond that veil, we do not come back. So, you know, also it, it very oftentimes kind of asks us this question as well. Like, are you ready to look beyond that? Um, I had a dream back when I first got tarot and I've told it before on this podcast, but basically like the gist of it is that Gabriel and I were driving in his car and in the middle of nowhere and his car broke down, but there was this big mansion And Gabe and I got out of the car and went to the giant mansion and knocked on the door. And I asked like if I, if we could use a phone and the person who answered the door was all decked out in like this very long, like toga esque type thing. And they were covered in gold paint and they were, he was very kind. He just kind of said, Hey, like you are absolutely more than welcome to use the phone, but I want you to know that we're about to have like some sort of party here um, or ritual. And if you come inside to use the phone, don't like stay in the room until it's until all of this is done because you can't unsee what's what you can't unsee what's happening. And uh, so we got we went into this room and music started and chanting started and singing started and it sounded lovely and mystical and scary, but not because it was evil, more just because it was unfamiliar. And um, I'm you know I was listening to this music and I told Gabe like I couldn't resist the urge to look anymore. And I did. And I made eye contact with the person who had opened the door for me. And that's, you know, and it, and it wasn't like, oh my God, I can't believe you did this or welcome to hell 
friend. It was it wasn't that it was just like, okay, like now that you're here, what are you going to do with this information? And that is the high priestess. Like once you know, like you can't go back once you start really developing empathy and really looking in and seeing like it's kind of like this, like once you know, what are you going to do with that information? Once you know about systemic racism, do you just ignore it or do you actively try your best to dismantle that if nowhere else other than your personal family and the way that you raise your children and the way that you interact? Like, what do you do if you see an injustice happening? Do you then just ignore it because it doesn't affect you or do you actively try to change things? If you're at work and you see somebody really struggling and you can tell that they need help and you ignore that, like once you take a peek behind this veil, what do you do with the knowledge you get from it? And that's the high priestess. It's very much a welcoming. It's very much you could call it indoctrination, but really it's just kind of like once you really see. What do you do then? And you and you have to figure that out for yourself. You can have other people tell you what they did. You can listen to their experiences but it's really about you deciding where you go from there and what you take from it. And I think for me, when I'm pulling this in readings and it's a two, so it's, you know, mirror of the self and it's reflection and choice. And you really kind of, when you're pulling the high priestess, it's, it's so much an esoteric question of how do you feel about this thing? You know, you're coming to, you're coming to this, you're coming to the deck for a reading or you're, or you're reading for another person. Like you pull this card I pull this card in a reading, I'll point blank stop what I'm doing and be like, how do you feel about this? How do you feel about what's happening? Like, what is your actual fear? What's your actual fear here? And I just ask, like, because the high priestess is like, hey, like this person knows the answer to what they're coming to you for. They have everything available to them. We learned that already in the magician that we have everything we need. And then we learn that again in the high priestess, you have everything you need outside and you have everything you need inside to answer this question, what actually do you want? What actually do you need? What actual answer do you want? To, to, what what answer do you want versus what's actually happening? So I'll stop and ask myself or the other person, what do you actually feel about this? It's also a card that says, hey, what have your dreams been lately? How have you been feeling about things? Do you feel unsettled? Do you feel frantic? Do you feel really devoted? Do you feel really good where you're at? Do you feel like you have this intrinsic desire and pull to change something or to know something or to do something? Again, like going back to dreams, what are you dreaming about recently? And I'll, and I'll ask those questions because the high priestess is so much kind of about like centering the self. It's, it's mirror of the self. So I'll just, what do you feel? What do you know? What do you know about this? Because at the end of the day in the high priestess, it is about peeking behind that veil. It is about sitting in the center of something and realizing that it's all not just like black and white. It's not just this duality of yes and no. It's sometimes it is just so much more of a maybe. Sometimes it's not about making rash decisions. Sometimes it's an encouragement to sit with something for a while. Should I break up with this person? The high priestess, I don't know. Why don't you sit and meditate on it? Don't rush yourself into a decision. Sit down and really consider what's best for you, what's best for all involved. How do you feel? In 10 years, what do you want? Is it something that can be worked on? Is it something where like your goals can be readdressed so that you both have the same goals? If not, then maybe it is time to not focus so much on what you want in the moment, but what you see for yourself later. 
you know, that the high priestess encourages that really deep internal thought process. And so if you're, if you're pulling this card in a reading and you're like, what do I do? And you pull the high priestess, it's like, you already know what to do. Why are you coming to the deck? And that can be really frustrating, right? Cause you're pulling and you're literally, you're asking, you're like begging for insight and you're pulling that and you're like, Jesus fucking Christ, high priestess. Like I'm asking, I'm asking the tarot for help, but really like it's, you help you take a peek behind the curtain. What is it you actually want to do here? What is it that you're ready for? Are you ready to look? Because once you look, you can't go back. And for a lot of us, getting a tarot deck is a really big high priestess moment. It is that dream that I had where once you look, you can't go back. What do you do with that then? It's a, it's a little bit of like this nod back to the, to the chariot later on, right? Where it's like, once you leave, you're out of that comfort zone. You enter the death line. Um, I really love the high priestess. It's one of my favorite cards in the tarot. They are so full of knowledge and wisdom and they are so good at sitting in the middle of things and just really kind of seeing where they fit into it or how things fit in around them. They are patient and they are knowledgeable and they are dreamy and, and they listen to their gut instincts and they understand them. And the irony of all of the, all of those things that I love so much about the high priestess, every single one of us is equipped with. You are, I am. Your sister is, your cousin, your neighbor. We are all equipped with this. Some of us just don't know what to do when we peek behind that curtain. You know, to pull this card in the reverse, again, I don't really read reversals as opposite of or knows or whatever else. It's sometimes very literally like you already know the answer. You've already you've already peeked behind this curtain. You're you're avoiding it. What are you avoiding? How can you better understand this? What is so unsettling for you to be where you are right now? You know, those are all the ways the high priestess can come up. It's, it's really kind of like, it's really a mirror, a mirror of our, of our insides. It would be like having a mirror inside our brain all the way down to our heart and, and being able to examine those things. And um, I think sometimes that's the hardest part about the high priestess and the most like you know, I think the most like mystical part is that the the funniest part is that you all of these things that you think are so mysterious about the high priestess, the high priestess is kind of like face palming because they're like, you already know. That's the whole point of me is that you can sit in front of the curtain all you want, but it's your fucking curtain. You're you hung that you hung that in your brain. Uh, you have access to all the stuff I'm sitting in front of. And I think that's kind of the most encouraging and also the hardest part of the high priestess in general. Okay. Um, you would think, listen, I was completely ready for the collective reading. This is the part of the podcast where I actually give a lecture on linguistics. If you're going to take any class ever in college, I would take linguistics. It was incredibly fascinating and I think does a really good job of talking about the human condition in regards to a science that is language. All right. Um, while I was talking about that, I was also definitely not pulling a card for the collective reading. Um, I definitely knew that it, that that needed to happen on this podcast. Um, so we've got for this coming week, the six of pentacles, sixes are a heart based number. And in the six of pentacles, we are, we have this person and they're giving money or food to people who need it. They're also holding, holding scales. 
Um, and the kind of the idea here is a balanced giving and receiving, I think, aspect. Um, and it, and it is talking about like, um, you could talk about money. You could also talk about physical health. It could talk about relationships. Um, it, I think when I pull this card, um, I say a lot, like your yeses are expensive. Um, with the, Pay attention to the things that you're saying yes to. Pay attention to your energy levels. Pay attention to your money. Where are you putting your money? Are you, is it, you know, like, um, you know, a really easy, like a way to, like a really easy way to explain this card would be like, hey, you want to buy a new book. That's really amazing. Is it a book that you need instantly? Or like, do you need this? Do you need to buy this book on Amazon? Or could you buy it from like your local bookstore, Barnes and Noble Books a Million, or even like an independent bookstore? would be amazing. And could you get it that way? Like your yeses are expensive where you put your money matters, bring balance, bring balance to it. It can talk about like, even, you know, um, I'm saying all this and I'm getting like, I'm getting like a message as I'm talking about it. But essentially I think what we're being asked to consider collectively this coming week is finding that balance between giving and, and, and taking um, we don't want to just take, 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 but we also can't just give, 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 give. Um, and this is where I'm saying like our yeses are expensive and our no's are, can be empowering as well as, as well as disempowering. So find that balance and strike it up. Don't say no to things simply because you feel unworthy of going. You are absolutely worthy of going. But also, like, if you don't want to do something, it's okay to say no. It's okay to miss that party. It's okay to get that sleep. It's also sometimes okay to miss a night of sleep so that you can feel like you lived a little. There's such a balance to it. You can't just take and you can't just give. There's got to be both because you are both the you are both the person with the metaphorical money and the person without it. And sometimes you have to be both to yourself on any kind of given day. Um, so really kind of pay attention to your energy levels, pay attention to your health, pay attention to sure your money, like give what you can take what you need, pay attention to what others around you need, pay attention to how you fit into that and take care of yourself as, as well and as much as you take care of others, I think is kind of the message for this coming week. Okay, uh, this is also the Stars and Shit Week. So I'm going to let Gabe give you all his little spiel. If you like this podcast, please consider rating, sub subscribing, and reviewing. Um, and uh, other than that, we'll see you next week. Is that what you're going to call it, though? Is that what you're going to call it? Do I get to name it? Stars and Shit! Hey everybody, welcome to Stars and Shit, your monthly dose of astrology with Gabe. I'm going to talk about a couple transits for the month of September, and then give some ideas for readings that you can do based on the planets and symbolism. I hope everybody is having a good Mercury retrograde, and let's do a big collective high five that Venus is now out of its retrograde as of, I believe... 9 p.m. tonight, on the, on Sunday, the day that I'm recording, September 3rd. I think really quickly before I get into it, um, I want to talk about 
retrograde. It's kind of a dime in a jar word for anybody and and especially people who are not astrologers or into astrology or tarot or familiar with any of that sort of thing. They hear the word retrograde and they kind of roll their eyes. And I, I totally get why they do because I kind of do as well. And not that it's not an important part of um, the astrological symbolism that happens, um, but everybody is under the impression that it is a bad thing. And I, I want to just clarify, and I think speaking to a room full of tarot readers as I am, I, I think it's pretty easy to understand that it's it's really viewing a retrograde as like a card reversal in that you're not necessarily, especially how Jacqueline teaches it, a card reversal in tarot does not necessarily mean the reverse or the opposite of the card's meaning. It just may mean looking at the archetype in a little bit different light, um, looking at it from another angle, or sometimes in terms of retrograde, sometimes a revision, like revising, going, going back and taking another look at something. It's also not to say that it won't necessarily mean that it is the opposite. I think it's just important to uh, keep your mind open, and especially when a card comes up reversed or a planet starts to go retrograde, it's it's just an opportunity to take a harder look at something. Venus is the planet of love, sex, relationships, and harmony, so Venus going retrograde doesn't necessarily mean disharmony you're breaking up with whoever you're with, you're going on a huge dry spell, and you'll be alone forever. That, that's not what it means. Mercury retrograde is very similar in that you're taking a harder look at the aspects of Mercury. And uh, Mercury, uh, above all, represents communication. Um, but communication can, can mean many different things, how we're speaking to each other, how we're acknowledging each other how we're understanding and figuring out the world around us. And so you could run into instances where you have to go through a few more steps or something may not be working quite correctly or maybe there is something that you're missing. Like what can you learn from malfunction or miscommunication? If you're aware that there might be some miscommunication, Maybe you take extra steps to make sure that that doesn't happen. So there's a couple little transits that I wanted to talk about today. And um, one of them that I feel weighing heavily, especially on my life, that I wanted to mention quickly is um, just remembering that Saturn is in Pisces and will be for some time and has been there for a little bit now but it's Saturn has gone retrograde recently as well on the retrograde theme and some of those things are some of those Saturn themes are coming back so Saturn is is boundaries restraints practicality consequences and Pisces has an interesting moody way of making these boundaries maybe a little bit harder to see and to find and to define um, Pisces as a water sign 
and very much concerned with seeking its source would be very sensitive if if it wouldn't if it was not able to find its way through if there was a boundary and that could be very disheartening and this realization could go a bit deeper than maybe originally anticipated things that maybe didn't used to upset you as much might be upsetting you a little bit more now um depending on what house this is in just something i've observed um i think in in my own life and in lives of others and how this saturn in pisces is continue continuing to develop so um that would be a good area to do a reading right now i know every most astrologers and everybody are very focused on the retrogrades, um, Mercury, Venus, Jupiter, and Saturn is one of them. Um, but just uh, just kind of what I'm feeling through, especially since that full moon in Pisces just came through, I think that ignited a little bit of that. So um, just some thoughts for you there. The next thing I was going to mention very quickly is very soon we're going to come into a a Mercury Kazemi. This is on September 6th, and just for those of you who said, Kazemi, what the hell does that? Kazemi is when Mercury comes in to a conjunction with the Sun. Now, something interesting is happening during this Mercury retrograde in that Mercury is in its own sign of Virgo, which makes it very much at home. You can think of the the planets as the person having the conversation and the sign as the temple that it is that it occupies that it rules um and then the house planet is in is where is what the conversation is about so that's kind of a, a quick easy way to conceptualize um planet sign and house all at the same time so Mercury being in Virgo mean it's it's in its own temple. It's where it rules. So it's home right now. It is retrograde, but this gives it a kind of an extra power boost. And so while we're still very much experiencing the um, the, the miscalculation, the crossed wires, um, the malfunction, um, one thing that we can be thinking about a bit is um, how are these things actually providing solutions when you run into a hardship you are forced to uh, work around it sometimes the saying is necessity is the mother of invention so that would be a really good way to think about this mercury retrograde um, the kazemi is an aha moment it's a it's a moment of clarity it's it's where the retrograde part of this cycle is kind of nullified and you and you get to hone in on uh, really in in my opinion the whole point or the th theme around the retrograde is sort of enlightened to you this could also be a moment where some hard work or problem solving pays off for a little bit this is also a transit that can cause one to think about themselves um, so it can be self-centered, it could be contemplative, and could also go as far as self-destructive thoughts. I, I don't really see that happening a whole lot in Virgo, but 
these will present themselves in their own ways in our own lives. So I think just as a a precautionary and bit of wisdom, um, maybe that's a good time to take a moment, pull out your cards, and do a reading for clarity, um, just to make sure that 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 clarity is actually the clarity that they didn't misinterpret it. Because remember, Mercury still is moving backwards. Miscommunication is a thing, even within our own heads. So um, that would be that would be a really good thing to do in the middle of the week, September sixth. Like I said, that'd be Wednesday. The last thing I'll mention here is the new moon in Virgo, which is trine Uranus. Um, very shortly after Mercian, Mercury stations direct and Venus squares Jupiter for the third time this year. Um, Venus being in Leo, Jupiter being in Taurus. Um, so this may have a lot to do with the whole Venus retrograde cycle. If there's any recent changes that still need some adjusting, um, if you've been on a whole ride, um, you know, you've been on it for a while now, you might be ready for the next step. Um, desires being clarified, rationale being justified, uh, logistics being implemented in some of these things. Virgo's going to want to hone in on the little things real hard, so I guess I would say, uh... Do yourself a favor and try and enjoy some of the little things. I think this transit's going to help us do that. So I think kind of one blanket statement that I would make about this summer and Venus retrograde and um, all the transits in between is that it's been kind of toughen us, toughening us up. And I don't know if it's getting us ready for this another cycle a big change that's coming maybe those changes have already happened for some of you and and it's about starting that up and making sure that it gets off on the right foot or maybe those changes are still yet to come and there's a few more things to figure out before it can happen um whatever that is this is a good time to slow down enjoy yourself and um gear up for the fourth quarter i guess for you football fans out there. So, um, thanks very much. We'll see you next time.